welcome to the Soccer Coach Weekly Podcast with me, Steph Weber. Thank you for joining us as we get insights and ideas from coaches working across the game to help you develop into the coach you want to be. Receiving is a vital skill in soccer. A good first touch can beat a player in an instant, get a team out of trouble, or even create a chance on goal. But how can we support players to improve their receiving? Moritz Kosman is a coach at Ubuntu Football Academy in Cape Town, South Africa. There, he coaches the under-21 team, which plays in the third tier of South African football, and oversees the senior section, made up of the under-18s and under-16s. I spoke to Moritz to hear about his expertise on receiving, what it is, what good looks like, and how we can coach it. But first, he told me a bit more about his coaching journey. I live and work in Cape Town in South Africa. I work for um, Ubuntu Football Academy, which is owned by the Ubuntu Football Trust. And at Ubuntu, I look after the senior side, which is in in actual fact an under-21 team, which plays in in the third tier of South African football, the the second division, essentially. And um, yeah, so my main job is to coach this team. But I also oversee the senior section, which would be the under-18s and the under-16s. I've been at Ubuntu for six years now, pretty much exactly six years. Um, But my coaching journey started in 2008. And yeah, I've been doing, been fortunate enough to coach for a living since 2011. And just before we started recording you, I think you had a really great tip for coaches that kind of want want to have a long journey in the game and want to progress. Do you want to share that with people? Sure. I mean, I'm a big believer in hours on the training field and on the pitch. So, you know, I I feel that obviously educating yourself theoretically is very important, but ultimately hours spent out on the pitch with various levels of players, male, female players, uh, different age groups, um, it's it's the most valuable thing you can do, especially if you if you are building a simple system of reflecting on those hours and how you can get better and what works with what type of personality and player. So for me, I would say the single most important thing for coaches is simply hours on the field and trying to get better yourself within those hours. So we've got a lot of listeners as well from different places around the world um and I didn't know if you could just give us a bit of an overview of kind of what what soccer is in in South Africa what the what the landscape's like what the youth landscape's like and what kind of coaching coaches are doing yeah sure um I mean football South Africa is obviously more famous for its exploits particularly in rugby and cricket but Football is actually the national game. We hosted the 2010 FIFA World Cup, and the South African national men's team has, you know, previously won the African Cup of Nations. The women have actually won the African Cup of Nations last year, and it, it is the national sport. We have one of the most well-developed and professionally run uh, Premier Leagues on the African continent. Uh, so I would say. The, that that league has benefited massively from the World Cup happening in South Africa, which has seen 
a large uptick in, in interest, but also just in professionalism in the administration of running the game. Uh, nevertheless, South Africa in recent years in national men's football has certainly underperformed expectations. Um, the game is very, very popular. You know, the, the country is large. It's a, more than 2,000, even 2,500 kilometers in diameter. And so particularly at junior level, it's very difficult to get competition uh, on a national level. You know, we have 60 million people, but it's it's impossible to facilitate junior competition that goes beyond a, a regional level, at least on a weekly basis. So I feel that one of the challenges we have is a lack of strength versus strength competition at a junior level and yeah between junior and the professional level we have a second professional league which is under the auspices of the the premier league and then below that you have a a provincial level the the second division which is where where we play um and then below that you'd have a regional league so so this is the structure that is built however for as i alluded for junior football um the football is played on a, on a local level and thus strength versus strength competition at the higher end of that is is a little bit lacking. So we are going to move on to talk about receiving in a second, but I suppose just, just to finish off that thought, what do you think needs to change or kind of improve to, yeah, to make that more possible um, at a youth level to get strengths strength games going? Well, I think... It is South African football uh, at the basis is struggled uh, is is structured across Aleph A's. So Aleph A stands for local football association. So regardless of whether you're a Sunday League club or a Premier League club, you are associated to an Aleph A, and an Aleph A belongs to a region. Now, at the junior level, however, the the weekly football, which is uh, the leagues is played on an Aleph A level, regardless whether you are the junior team of a Sunday league club or the junior team of a professional club. And so, in my opinion, the, the single biggest thing that needs to be done is, um, is to make junior football um, at the highest level possible at, on at least a regional standard. So, regardless, for example, if we are in Cape Town, there's several LFAs, I think about 50 LFAs, um, regardless of which LFA you belong to, if you could play the best teams out of all of those LFAs, which would be possible logistically, then that would be the single biggest way to have better strength versus strength competition and consequently accelerate development. You know, we've, the South African Football Association introduced a a, a rule of having under players in the in every league below the professional league, the, the top tier. So like in the second league, you have to field at least two under 23s to start the game. In the in the third tier, you have to field at least five under 23s to start the game. And so they've they've attempted something like that. However, this rules have been in place since 2009 and unfortunately haven't yielded the best results. And so for me, as I said, the the regional competition on a junior level, certainly from under 15 or under 16 up would be my, the, the first thing that I would look to implement. Oh, that's really useful. Thank you. Um, 
let's let's talk about receiving then. Um, and I suppose just as a starting point, can you give us a definition of what receiving is? Well, I think receiving is something you do when someone passes you the ball in the game, right? So receive that would be the most frequent action is getting the ball under control after a teammate has passed you the ball. But I suppose a less frequent moment would be if you are you're intercepting a pass from an opponent. I would also define this as a reception of the ball. Um, yeah. So if we look at, I suppose if we take the the first definition, so when you're receiving from a teammate, maybe, what are some of the key things that we're looking at from a player when they do receive the ball in, in those circumstances? I guess on the most fundamental level, you want to get it under control, right? You want to get it under your control so that you are next able to make either a dribbling or passing or perhaps even a shooting action. So getting it under control. But you know, I, I wrote an article in a magazine that I or in a in a paper that I write for here in South Africa a few weeks ago. And um I what I alluded to in there is that in the modern game with you know the development of pressing systems and a lot more high and collective pressing schemes being employed that Nowadays, in my opinion, the game has moved to a stage where the first touch and controlling the ball, you already need to control and develop the play with one touch, whereas perhaps on a lower level or in in the older times, you were able to stop the ball, control it like that, and then move the ball with the second touch. I think nowadays, the first touch already needs to take you into your new playing direction. So controlling and moving the ball should happen ideally with one touch. Um, yeah, so that you are are able to uh, play through and against uh, a, a pressing that is happening at a high intensity. Thinking about then, what kind of things are we looking for? We're we looking for scanning, body position. What are your coaching points, I suppose, around good receiving? Yeah, I think, you know, receiving starts before you have got the ball under your control which would be like you said scanning but scanning for what you know I think as coaches we love talking about scanning as a as a coaching point but you know if I look to my left and you looking at the same picture on the left if I don't know what to look for I could be looking at anything I think the most important thing is that we're teaching our players what to scan for so scanning for where is the open space that I could take my first touch into uh, scanning for what are the position of the opponents and what direction are they closing me down from so that perhaps I can take the touch in the opposite direction or pass them where are my teammates you know am I taking a first touch towards an area where I have plenty of passing options or am I taking my first touch into an area where perhaps I become more isolated where am I on the field? Am I on the flank already or am I in a more central space? You know, I think for me that the giving meaning to scanning is a really important consideration. Then the body position, obviously turning is a crucial action in football and we can't uh, discourage our players from turning because if we are able to be comfortable technically at, at turning with our first touch, it, it's a huge weapon and it makes us very unpredictable. Nevertheless, if I'm already in a body position facing towards 
perhaps the larger part of the field or in the direction that I want to go. Number one, I am signaling to my teammate where I want to receive the ball. And then it can also accelerate and secure my actions because if I if I don't always have to turn 180 degrees into a new direction, it, it's certainly easier to execute re a reception and, a, a, and a moving the ball along, even against a higher pressure. What about as well then parts of the body that we can use to receive? And I'm, I'm including in that different parts of the foot. How might we approach that? I think the, the most simple thing to do is obviously to receive with the instep, which the largest part of your foot and, and, and perhaps the most simple to control the ball. It might also be the more predictable one, whereas if I'm receiving with the outside of my foot, then it can be less predictable. It can add a, a new spin and momentum to the ball. And, you know, technically players need to be comfortable at receiving a higher ball too. And whether that is with the knee, the chest, or even the head, it's, it's, it's an important skill to have, especially for central defenders and, and forwards who, you know, have to be able to be proficient at playing with the ball in the air, but also on the ground. So, yeah, I think those would be the areas technically that I would say need to be covered there. And sometimes, you know, players can surprise us and even receive with a totally different part of the body that you that you haven't even thought of or listed at as a coach, but that can add creativity to the game or might be appropriate situationally. I'm glad you said that because when you were talking, I was thinking, I've got a couple of players. I've got one player that does what you've just said. And I'm like, well, I didn't know anyone could take a touch of that part of their body. And then I've got another player that their first touch looks so different to, I think, what we think we should be coaching, but it, but it works. They get the ball under control. Where do you think the line is between, I suppose, teaching players what we think is ideal technique and actually going with what works for them and what's more natural to their bodies? I think it's, that's obviously a tricky balance to, to get correct because as, as coaches, we, we have this like ideal technical picture in our mind. Nevertheless, due to, uh, you know, the the qualities and characteristics that each player brings you know what what their body allows them to do or what might be the most efficient way might be greatly different from that sort of ideal technique i think the one maybe even overquoted example someone like thomas muller who's had you know a 15 year career at the highest level and who isn't someone that looks technically very pleasing on the eye from the ideal technique point of view nevertheless it works and it's functional and it's efficient and it's also unpredictable because you know you if you're coming with unique solutions to football problems chances are that opponents aren't used to those unique solutions whereas if you have a very clean and perhaps a little bit predictable technique it, it, it's it's easier to read in terms of body cues and 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 predicting it at a higher level. So for me, what I would say is when we're teaching our players, we've, we've got to observe ultimately whether they are having success with their actions or not. And if it, if it is something that works for them and that is successful in the majority of situations, obviously this comes with observing uh, a few situation action patterns. Um, 
yeah, I think then there's no need to change it. But if, you know, obviously there's a struggle and, um, and it doesn't work, then perhaps we need to assist the players in optimizing and adjusting the actions. But, but even with that, we need to figure out whether it's, you know, an execution, a technical problem, or whether it's a decision-making an interaction problem, a communication problem. Uh, so yeah, I would, my, my go-to method would be to just say that uh, we shouldn't be too fast at correcting something that looks unorthodox. And we need to also go into trainings and seasons with the mindset of trying to learn from our own players, because sometimes players can open our eyes to solutions that we haven't thought about previously, but that might very well be very functional. So yeah, that that would be my my thinking on on that. I think that's a a great response, and I suppose what you've always, what you've raised there as well is the technique versus the decision making. So, what's your view in terms of how we how we coach this? And I'm thinking about unopposed practices, opposed practices. What level we feel might someone might need to be at before we put them into opposed practices? What what's your take on what works best there? Well, uh, firstly, another point with the receiving that uh, that I learned from one of my players who plays for our senior team. He's the the captain of the team and played professionally in South Africa. And he he taught me a little trick that I I was not aware of before, but that is totally efficient, which is that as the ball travels whilst it's on the way to you, why don't you step towards the ball? So even like stepping a meter towards the ball because it totally disorientates the opposing pressing player. If you know, if you are passing a 10 meter pass to me and I'm standing still, but then as the ball travels, I go one and a half meters towards the ball and now an eight and a half meter pass, chances are that that little bit of movement while the ball's on the way has, has caused me to receive it with, um, with space to go into, into an attacking direction. Now, that is something that I now coach frequently with our players. It's obviously perhaps a quite an advanced stage of receiving, but it's something that, yeah, a player of mine has opened my eyes to this. Now, yeah, I, I'm fortunate that I, I work with some of, of the best young players in this region, at least. And I'm, I'm a big believer in opposed practice. I, I, I enjoy the opposed practices because of the, interactive element that they bring in terms of the communication and decision making. Nevertheless, I'm not uh, fundamentally against unopposed practices whatsoever. In fact, I think as a warm-up, they can be very useful. Obviously, at a at a lower beginner level and a younger level, they can they can certainly have their place. But I think it's fundamentally important to, to at whatever level you're working at, to start with the game and with football, and then to work from there to observe whether um, players are are coping in the football situation. And if they're not coping, then we can simplify the football situation. And then if the simplification of the football situation still doesn't do it, if there's still a disproportionate struggle, obviously uh, success and failure should be part of it for both teams within the football situation. But if there's a disproportionate struggle, then I can obviously always go to the 
unopposed scenario. And and maybe that can be in as a pre-warm-up, as an individual warm-up to a session, or as a team warm-up, or even as a, a homework scenario where um, you know, you can encourage the player to go and practice it in his time outside of the team training. But yeah, I would I would always start with a game and try to then simplify the game or adjust the game to encourage learning and then to move towards opposed, I mean, unopposed practice if I'm not gaining the success that I need um, rather than the other way around of starting unopposed and then gradually adding a resistance so-called to that. I think at the end of the day, players come to team training and to football because they want to compete with other people and with other teams. And um, the greatest joy that people get is from having a little bit of success and scoring a goals in, in those scenarios. So yeah, I feel that as coaches, we, we should start with that and then use that as the starting point and the end point and the practices, whether they are opposed or unopposed, to be tools to help facilitate growth in that in that scenario, which is the game. I think, yeah, I think that's a great answer. And just just staying on opposed practices, say receiving is the main thing that you're working on in a session. Do you have any kind of go-to receiving sessions or small-sided games that you think work really well to develop that skill and technique? Well, a game, a game that I, I shared recently on my, my Twitter platform, which I'm more than happy to share, is a, is a, a goal-scoring practice that I've found that regardless of which team I'm working with and regardless of which age group, that these players all, all love this game. And it's simply because it involves goal-scoring and competition, which is you have a, a goal on the left side of the field and you've got a goal on the right side of the field. And then you've got um, the coach standing in the middle between those goals with a line of players from the attacking team on one side and a line of defenders next to the coach. Now the game starts with the coach passing the ball to the attacker and as the coach is passing the ball the defensive player closes down the attacker. Now the attacker can choose which goal he attacks with his first touch but the moment that he's gone in the direction of a goal, he can't then choose to change direction and attack the other goal. So what you get a lot from this practice is um, the development of disguise on the first touch and then trying to accelerate into open space past the onrushing defender towards the goal that you're attacking. And obviously you, you try as the, as the attacking player to score a goal. Then what I do is I play normally four rounds of this game where uh, for three minutes the attacking team tries to score as many goals as possible and each team gets a chance to attack twice. Um, the goalkeepers are obviously neutral in this practice, but they try to save the ball. So, But they, they stand on either end and uh, yeah, get high repetition of saving the ball. So it's a nice, it's a nice practice, particularly... Uh, in a session prior to a game because you get a lot of a lot of repetition of scoring actions as well but scoring actions with a defender chasing you so it's for me that would be sort of a uh, a practice that that is very go-to that is very enjoyable and that that fits a lot of different levels of football I think that's a, a great example and 
within it you you mentioned disguise as something throughout this conversation you've mentioned various different you know bits that form receiving I suppose if we were to think about you know through a player's journey maybe they go from beginner to intermediate to more advanced do you think you could talk through I suppose what the building blocks are of receiving so what we might start off with and then what we might progress them to as they get as they get more advanced yeah I think obviously the the younger you are the more beginner you are at playing the game the the smaller I guess globally the the game is you play so it's perhaps you know starts in a 3v3 or even a 2v2 or a 4v4 and then the amount of teammates and opponents uh, gra- gradually increases as you get older and so I think that already if you're receiving in a 3v3 versus an 11v11 it's a very different situation because the 3v3 even for a younger player you know it's more you have a big an easier overview of the the overall situation and I guess you know having a good reception of the ball into open space is more impactful than in an 11v11 because you're immediately creating a, a very tangible situational numerical advantage in a small-sided game and uh so so even if you are just talking about playing smaller sided games versus larger sided games I already see um, a degree of building block within that because of the complexity of the bigger game and the simplicity the I guess relative simplicity of the smaller game uh, nevertheless you know suppose a progression is at the beginning you want to just be able to control the ball without immediately losing it on the control thing a second step is to develop uh, the aspect of the open body position, the scanning for relevant information. Uh, another step after that is to be able to control and move the ball into space with the first touch and doing it with both feet and different parts of the body. And I would I see it as the last part of this, I guess, journey in this in this sort of action within the game of football would be this this aspect of moving into the ball while the ball is traveling and thereby creating new angles and lines and disorientation for the opponent. So yeah, I guess you know there's ma- many possible other things that could be discussed and considered, but for me, that would be a, a gross timeline of how I perceive this. Those as well, sometimes what you might get at the start of that timeline is players that are afraid of the ball unsure of what to do when the ball approaches them particularly obviously if the ball's in the air do you have experience in working with players at that stage and how you can support them to get more used to the ball um a little bit probably not as much uh, as i do have with the the slightly higher level and it's perhaps a few years ago um but a thing that i could imagine is you know training with perhaps a softer ball or you know you i don't know if this is very uh, often seen in Europe, but you get these giant like tennis balls, for example, that that you can use to practice heading, and they are a lot lighter and a lot softer than an actual football. And perhaps at that beginner stage, learning to control and work with an aerial ball with a slightly softer uh, a ball would be one thing that I would certainly consider. Yeah, I think that's a that's a brilliant idea. Um, look, there are. I suppose we could talk about receiving forever, but um, are there just any kind of wrap up 
points that you would want to give or anything that you think might be useful for coaches that are listening to this on on that topic before we kind of um, end the podcast? Well, I think that, you know, players across the globe are inherently competitive beings. And so even if you're wanting to do sort of relatively isolated training, um, it can still be done in a competitive way. So, uh, you know, whatever it's called, football tennis or football volleyball and different variations thereof, um, at, at any level of the game could be a very nice technical practice that is still to a degree competitive and somewhat opposed um, could be something that could be very nicely used in the initial part of sessions or in, uh, you know, sessions early in the week to develop receiving skills and even receiving skills, particularly of aerial balls. So um, I've never worked with a team that doesn't enjoy a football tennis or football volleyball practice. And so that's something that coaches can be creative to adapt to their particular level of players and context. but you know, from professionals right up until young youth players. This is a very enjoyed practice as well, particularly for aerial balls. That was the voice of Moritz Kosman. Thank you to Moritz for sharing his expertise. And thank you to you for listening to the Soccer Coach Weekly podcast. For more from us, join us again next time or visit soccercoachweekly.net for practice plans, interviews, advice and much more. I'm Steph Fairbairn. See you again soon.